All right. Well, good morning. We're in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. That's what we're going to be looking at, verses 1 through 20 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And we're saying, how should we respond to the good news of Jesus at Christmas? That is question that we are going to be answering this morning. How should we respond to the good news of Jesus at Christmas from Luke chapter 2? I'm not going to read the entire passage to begin with. Um, We will read through that as we work through the text this morning. Um, And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we will dive in. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together once again as as a church, to come and, and worship you, Lord, to worship you through song, scripture reading, the Lord's Supper, and now through the preached word, Lord. And God, we ask that you might be with us as we walk through this text this morning, that you might help us to see how we are to biblically respond to the message of Jesus at Christmas, to the good news, to the gospel. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Christmas season is upon us. Uh, I don't know about you, but, but Christmas has kind of snuck up on me, right? I mean, it is, it is literally this coming week. And so for all of you last-minute shoppers, you've got a few days uh, to get out there, get your gifts, uh, make sure you're wearing your mask, coronavirus and all that stuff is out there. Um, and then you've got Amazon. Maybe they can get you a package. Maybe they can't by the time Christmas comes. I mean, that's how we do most of our shopping, but, but you've got to plan ahead in order for that to happen. Christmas has just kind of snuck up on us this year, and, and Christmas is always a great time of year. The weather's cool. The greetings of Merry Christmas are exchanged with family and friends and, and strangers alike, your mailbox, and then, and then the outside of your refrigerator gets filled up with all of those cards from, from people that you see on a regular basis and then people that, that you never see, people maybe you went to school with that, that have moved off. And, and, and every year you get a picture from them of their family and their kids growing up and you wonder, man, how do they get so big? And while it's good and right for us to do all of these things, while it's good and right for us to, to post on our social media feeds, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. Let's keep Christ in Christmas, putting these signs out in our yard. All of these things are good and right. Sending cards to people, exchanging greetings of Merry Christmas. All of these things are good and right for us to do at Christmas. While it's good and right for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas. What I'm afraid is that even though we do these things, we may do them out of habit, we may do them out of cultural expectation rather than a true understanding of how we are supposed to respond to the good news of Jesus at Christmas. And so how should we respond? How should we respond to the good news of Jesus at Christmas? Well, the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 provide us with the model of how we are to respond. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Luke chapter 2. And the first way that, that we see the shepherds responding is that, is that they search for the truth. And we must respond in the same way. We must search. We must respond to the good news of Jesus at Christmas by searching for the truth. And Luke 2 begins with Jesus' birth. And so we'll begin there as well. Verse 1. We have Mary. We have Joseph. They've traveled to Bethlehem because of 
a census. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And we see here that there's a census that that is taking place. And everyone has to go back to their, their hometown. And, and Joseph, the man, he has to go, to go to his hometown. And so he takes his wife with him. But, but the census could not have happened at a worse time for Mary and for, for Joseph. I mean, Mary is nine months pregnant. She was practically ready to give birth. No doctor in the 21st century would have ever approved of this trip to happen, right? Mary is going to travel all the way over here on a donkey, and she's about to give birth. But this is, that was then, this is, this is now. They had to go. Caesar, he, he's the head honcho of the area, right? I mean, what he says, you got to do. And so Caesar calls for this census. Everybody has to go back. And so they have no other choice but to set off for Bethlehem. And of course, traveling by a donkey while you're nine months pregnant is not something that is, that is easy to do, right? I mean, it's difficult. It is, it is slow. I could imagine them just kind of creeping along and everybody else is just kind of plowing past them. Hey, Joseph, good to see you, man. We'll see you there. Maybe you'll get a room. Maybe you, maybe you won't. Now, ladies, could you imagine being married, traveling through harsh terrain, riding on a donkey, sleeping outside while you're preparing to give birth? To some of you, that, that would be difficult. To others of you, that would be just absolutely extreme because even if you weren't pregnant, you wouldn't be embarking on this trip. Men, could, could you imagine? I mean, I couldn't imagine being Joseph at this time, traveling all the way back home while my wife is, is pregnant, riding on a, on a donkey. I mean, you think the things are difficult or were difficult when your wife was pregnant and ready to give birth. I mean, could you imagine what, what Joseph is experiencing at this point? To say the trip was difficult, the, the timing of the census was bad is really an, an understatement, but that's not even the worst of it. Once they finally reach Bethlehem, all of those people who had passed them on the way, I mean, they, there was nowhere to stay. Everybody else had taken up all of the rooms in the town. The entire town was full. The only thing that was left was a stable with animals in it for them to sleep in. Look at the text beginning again in verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I know that, that some folks are really in, into home births. But I don't think that this is what they had in mind when they embark on that, right? I mean, I don't think they have in mind giving birth in a dirty, dingy stable with stinky animals roaming around. But, but that is all that Mary and Joseph had here. And not only were there terrible conditions, but, but all Mary had was Joseph to deliver this baby. There were no doctors. There were no nurses. There were no midwives. There was Joseph. That's it. I mean, talk about trusting your husband. And while the conditions were bad, while Joseph was completely inadequate, God's timing was perfect and he was adequate. 
God not only protected Jesus and Mary, but he equipped Joseph with what he needed in order to deliver baby Jesus. And that night, Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and he was laid in a manger. This is where animals ate from. It wasn't a nice, comfortable crib. A place where animals ate from. This is where Jesus was laid. And the humbleness of Jesus' birth is, is simply amazing. I mean, think about it. I mean, the Savior of the world, the one who has been planned to come since Genesis 3.15, even, even before the foundations of the world were even created, this plan was there for Jesus to come. The prophets, the Old Testament writers, consistently pointing forward to this Savior, this Messiah who is going to come, who is going to save Israel, who is going to save the entire world, who is going to set everything right. And here he is. He's born in a little town, not in an inn, but in a stable. He's the king of the world, the creator of the entire universe. He's not born in a castle somewhere. He's not born to nobility. He's born to a humble family. A stable that anybody can walk up to at any time that they like. And I believe this was on purpose. Jesus being born in an open stable reveals that anyone can come to him. You don't have to be rich or famous. You don't have to be great or powerful. Anyone from any walk of life can come to Jesus. Even the lowliest in society, even the shepherds. That night, a group of shepherds were confronted with the reality of Jesus' birth. Look at verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. An angel sent from God appeared to the shepherds, in the field revealed that, that Jesus, that the long-awaited Messiah had, had been born. And you notice right there in the middle of that section, there's that juxtaposition, right? The, the Savior, the Christ. We often think of it as Jesus Christ, like Christ is his last name, but, but the Christ is, is a title. It is saying that he is the Messiah. He is, he's the long-awaited Savior. Christ the Lord has been born. The, the Lord of all of creation has been born. And then there's that, and a sign will be for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing clothes and lying in a manger. And he's close by. Only maybe a few minutes walk away from where the shepherds are at. And what do the shepherds do? How do the shepherds respond to this message of, of the Messiah, of, of the king of all of creation, lying in a manger just a few steps away? What do the shepherds do? In verse 15 and 16, 
we learn that when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So confronted with the reality of Jesus' birth, the shepherds, they, they decided to search out the truth for themselves. Just like it was no accident that the shepherds were, were confronted by an angel sent from the Lord that night, it is no accident that you are being confronted with the same message here this morning. Maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a, a co-worker has invited you to come this morning. Maybe you're watching online with them because they have invited you to do that. You have responded because God wants you to be here today. God wants you to be watching today. He wants you to be confronted with the truth of Jesus at Christmas. It's no accident that, that you are here. And having been confronted with the reality of Jesus, you must do what the shepherds did. You must search out the truth like a good detective. You know, I love detective stories. Sherlock Holmes is, is one of my favorite characters. Not only is his sense of perception second to none, but his desire to solve a mystery is, is insatiable. He'll do whatever it takes in order to find the truth. If it means sleeping on the street, if it means traveling halfway around the world or putting himself in a compromising position with his life on the line, he will do whatever it takes to find out the truth. And just like Holmes' insatiable desire to find the truth drives him to do whatever it takes, we must do whatever it takes to determine if the gospel is true now that we have been confronted with the reality of Jesus at Christmas. You may have come here, you may be watching online for a, a number of reasons, but, but you have now heard that a Savior exists. And knowing that, won't you wholeheartedly search out the truth? I want you search out the truth to see if Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. Now, after being confronted by the angels and searching out the truth, we see next that the shepherds respond by believing. And that's the second way that we are respond as well. We must respond to the good news of Jesus at Christmas by believing the truth. Upon arriving at this, at this stable, Stinky animals all around and a baby lying in a manger. They find Jesus just as the angel had said. He's there in that manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's, he's lying in, in the manger seeing everything as the angels said. The, the shepherds, they believe. We know they believe because they revealed the angel's message to everyone there. 17 and 18, Luke writes, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And in the next verse, which we're going to see here in a moment, the shepherds also reveal they believe because they went away glorifying and, and praising God. You see, the shepherds, they were confronted with these angels. They were confronted with this message. This message that they have been waiting to receive all of their life, that, that Israel had been waiting to receive forever. Not ever, but many, many, many years. <laughs> Thousands of years. And here they are, the first ones to find out about it. And they don't stay there with, you know, in the fields. They go and they search it out. And it is just as the angel had said. And they believed, and they praised, and they 
glorified God as well. And likewise, when we find the message of the gospel to be true, we must respond in the same way. We must respond by believing the good news about Jesus, that he is the God-sent Savior who has come to take away the sins of the world. But oftentimes, even when we are confronted with the, with the truth of the gospel, people refuse to believe. And, and when we refuse to believe in Jesus, we show that we haven't really grasped the magnitude of the gospel message. We haven't grasped the the reality that that Jesus came and that that Jesus died on a cross in order to save us, that that the wrath of God was poured out on him, that, that he released us from the bondage of sin, Satan, and death. It hasn't sunk in that that God himself has come on a rescue mission for his people. That the Father sent his only son to die so that we might have everlasting life. See, oftentimes we refuse to to believe because we don't understand the magnitude of, of the good news. Just how good of news it actually is. We're blinded. And that's the second point. We refuse to believe. We show that that we don't see our need for a Savior. Most often when when people don't see their need for a Savior, it's because they don't recognize how sinful they really are. This is partly due to the the fault of our society and the culture in which we live, where it it says that you you could could be who you want to be, you're you're a good person, and it just highlights the the goodness of of everyone. It's just this self-esteem culture in which, which we live. All we need to do is just, just mine the goodness out of that person. But us not recognizing our sinfulness is also partly due to our sinful nature. See, we, we, we believe the mumbo-jumbo that our culture feeds us because we want it to be true. We desperately want ourselves to be much better than we know ourselves to be. Because we don't want to have to admit that we can't do it on our own. We don't want to have to admit that we are sinful, that we can never work our way to God, that we need a Savior. But here's the thing, we, we can't. We are completely inadequate. And even our best gifts on our, on our best day, or our best actions on our best day, are nothing but filthy rags. They don't do anything for us. They don't earn us any favor with God. They don't don't earn us another level or another step towards Him at all. Our best gifts, I mean our best actions on our best days do nothing for us. They are completely worthless when it comes to paying off a debt. It's like handing paper money to the bank and they're like, that's not going to buy your house. I need some real dough. But we don't have any to give and we can never give any. See, we need a Savior. We need someone to die in our place. We need someone to absorb the wrath of God for us, to release us from bondage, to redeem us, to reconcile us. And the Savior has come. A humble babe in a manger that that anyone from any walk of life can come to. Jesus didn't just come for kings and queens. He didn't just come for the well-connected, the rich, or the intellectual elite. Jesus came for everyone from every walk of life. When we're confronted with the truth, we should search it out. And then we should believe when we find that it is true. But not only 
do those who refuse to believe not grasp the magnitude of the gospel or that they need a Savior? Lastly, we don't understand this world can't offer us the peace that we seek. You see, this world is full of of false promises. It, It tells us that if we just drive this type of car, if we just live here, if we just vacation there, if we wear these types of clothing, if we work for, for so-and-so and we have this much career advancement, if we take this drug or that drink, then we're going to experience peace and we're going to experience salvation. But that is simply not true. Even though we continue to, to run to these things, we know that it's not true because the movies and the shows that we watch as well as the books that we read tell us that. Take Ochless. Huxley's Brave New World, for instance. In the book, he, he presents us with this futuristic world and this futuristic drug called Soma, which is unlike any drugs that we have today because there's absolutely no negative side effects. Because this drug is relatively safe, people throughout the book take it like it's just candy. So if something's bothering them, well, they, they pop a Soma. If, if they're anxious, then they take a Soma. If, if they want to have some fun, they take a Soma. If they want a, a, a vacation from reality, then they take more Somas. And while the drug does provide the characters in the novel with, with some sense of, of peace, it doesn't ultimately deliver on its promise because the manufactured peace that it provides disappears as soon as they come out of this drug-induced coma that they find themselves in. See, we can numb ourselves to the effects of the sinful world with, with drugs and a number of other things, but we all know that they ultimately don't provide us with the peace for which we all long, for the peace for which we are actually seeking. And we know this because we keep going back for more. One hit, one bottle, one shopping spree, it's, it's never enough. This is why Americans are addicted. This is why the debt in America is where it is at. We are all searching for peace. We are all searching for, for some sort of salvation. But, but what we're searching for and what we're, what we're finding is not delivering on its promise. But there's one person who can offer us the peace for which we all long, and that's Jesus. He can offer us peace because he frees us from the bondage of sin, Satan, and death. He delivers us from the wrath of God by repairing our relationship with the Father, and he does that through his sacrifice on the cross for us. And we can experience this peace by repenting of our sin, by repenting of our rebellion, by repenting of our unbelief and believing in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. You see, if we want peace, the peace that we all long for, the peace that we're all searching for, the satisfaction that we all want, if we want that kind of peace, we have to quit looking in the world. We've got to turn to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can provide us with the peace and the satisfaction and the salvation that we actually long for. Jesus is the only one who can do that. We must believe in Jesus. We must respond to the truth by searching for it and by believing the truth. And when we do that, we'll actually have the peace for which we long. We will actually have salvation. Not a counterfeit, but the real deal. And after you've searched for and after you have believed the truth, you should respond just as the shepherds did, by glorifying and praising God. You see, we must respond to the good news of Jesus at Christmas by glorifying and praising God. In verse 20, after the shepherds returned to their sheep, the text tells us that they were glorifying and 
praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And that's what we should do as well. We should glorify and and praise God for the salvation that that He provides for us. In order for us to do that, we need to know what it looks like for us to glorify and praise God. And so what does it look like for us to do that, to glorify and to praise God? Well, well, certainly it looks like what we've been been doing this morning, right? We've been singing songs of of praise to the Lord. And this is a way for us to glorify and and praise Him as we we magnify who He is, as we sing of His character and His attributes and, and all of the things that He has done. We sing of our hope and our trust and our faith in Him as the, the Savior, right? We are glorifying and praising God when we do that. It also looks like what many of us have been doing this Christmas season, right? By, by talking about Jesus to other people. As Christians, we should be a witness for Jesus. We should tell others about the salvation that Jesus provides us, the peace that that Jesus provides us, that they can experience as well. This is how we glorify and and praise God, by telling other people the good news about Him. And not only does it look like us singing praises and, and talking about Him, but it also looks like us trusting in Him. While talking with others about Jesus can be a struggle at times, it can be a greater struggle to actually trust in Jesus. And I believe that's because we believe we're self-sufficient. We believe that we are self-reliant. All of these things are just drilled into us. We believe when we have to be the ones, to, we believe that we have to be the ones to take care of things. Right? That we've got to do it all on our own. When we think like that, it makes us hard for us to to trust in Jesus, to, to give our life to Him, to give our family to Him, to give our work to Him, to give our finances to Him. But that's what we're called to do. We, we're called to trust in Jesus, not to try to do it on our own. And then all of a sudden, when we figure out we can't do this certain thing on our own, well, now we're running to Jesus in prayer. No, we trust Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't do things. I'm not trying to say that you sit on your couch and Jesus just does everything for you, but but we don't try first, then turn to Jesus. We turn to Jesus as we are working, as we are taking care of our family, as we are going about our day, as we are looking for a job and working at our jobs. It's, we're trusting in Jesus. We're, we're praying. We're, we're depending on Him through prayer as we seek the Spirit's guidance, as we seek His wisdom each and every single day as we go about life. We're trusting in Jesus when we do that. We glorify and we praise God when we trust in Jesus. Not only are we to sing and talk and and trust Jesus, but we are to praise and and glorify God. It also looks like us obeying Him. It looks like us obeying Him. True obedience is the mark of of what it means to be a Christian, right? I mean, this is what, what in essence, separates those who who claim to be a Christian and those who who truly are a Christian. It is is one thing to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, especially during Christmas time. It's one thing to say, yeah, Jesus is the reason for the season. It's one thing to put a manger in your yard and all of that kind of stuff. But it's a totally different thing to to actually trust and and obey Jesus, to actually allow him to guide and direct your life, to, to align yourself with his will. That is a totally different thing. This is where the rubber meets the road for those who are true believers. Right? True believers put into practice what God's Word says and what God calls them to do. And when we do that, when we, when we live according to God's Word, 
when we allow him to direct and to, to guide our lives, then we are, we are praising and, and we are glorifying God. You see, as Christians, we must not only sing to, talk about, trust in, but we must also obey Jesus, submitting every single area of our lives to him in order to truly praise and worship him this Christmas. If we don't do that, then we're really not praising and glorifying Jesus. We need to also live out our Christian life. And as we do that, we praise and glorify Jesus. And that's my prayer for us today, that we respond in, in these ways, that we respond in the way that the Bible calls us to respond to the good news. You see, if you're not a Christian, you are to respond by searching out the truth that you have been confronted with today. And if you've searched out the truth, then you respond by believing in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And if you have believed, you are to respond by praising and glorifying Jesus, not only through song and speech, but also through how you live out your life. And that's the way that we can respond this morning. We can believe in Jesus, we can praise and worship Jesus, we can search out the truth. And you may be in one of these places. But this is how you can respond this morning as you have been confronted with the truth of the gospel. We're going to have a time of response here in just a moment, an opportunity for you to respond. And if you're a believer, and respond by praising and worshiping Jesus during this time. If you're not a believer, you can respond by turning to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And what better time to do that as we're celebrating the, the first coming of Jesus here during this Christmas season. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll have our time of response. God, we come to you this morning thankful for the message of the cross thankful lord for the message of jesus's birth and that's what we're celebrating here this time of year we're celebrating jesus's birth but we're also looking forward to and anticipating the cross what his birth is leading to the salvation that it provides us lord we thank you that you have provided us with this message in your word this morning and God, as we, have, as we have read and we have studied Jesus' birth, which anticipates his death, as we've done that this morning, help us to respond to this good news, the good news of a coming Savior who has come, who has lived, and who has died on our behalf. Help us to praise and to worship him. Lord, help us to respond and and trust and obedience. Help us to respond by turning to Him as our Lord and as our Savior. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.